0: Our scripture reading this afternoon um, comes from Psalm 122, page 612, in your pew Bibles, another one of those um, Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of the pilgrim Israelites would sing on their way up to Jerusalem three times a year for the annual feast. Psalm 122 is the third of those. Read it in connection with Lord's Day 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism on the Holy Catholic Church and communion of the saints. Psalm 122, a song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set. The thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And you can turn to page 880 and 881 in the back of your hymnals where we'll read responsively questions 54 through 56 of the Heidelberg Catechism, a summary of Scripture's teaching on the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the Church of Christ. The Apostles' Creed has that Trinitarian outline, and so this is in the section on, on the Holy Spirit, where we're reminded of his, his work um, in and through the church. In question 54, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its end gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And of this community, I am and always will be a living member. Question 55, what do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers one and all, as members of Christ the Lord, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. And finally, question 56. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, by his grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into judgment. We heard this morning, beloved, from Psalms 9 and 10 about um, the great wickedness of those who slay the weak and the innocent, who pursue the poor, and are greedy for gain. Um, Psalms 9 and 10, they spoke of of those whose mouths are filled with cursing and oppression, who sit in ambush to murder the innocent. And reminded, this is life in a sin-cursed world. This is the same sort of thing that we see in the news, that we uh, read in the headlines that we, we see as we scroll our news feeds all kinds of evil. And God's people in the Old Testament were familiar with this as well, and not just in those two psalms that we looked at this morning, but, but even in this collection of, of psalms, this section, the Psalms of Ascent, this soundtrack on the way to worship God in Jerusalem, uh, even here, God's people know about the kind of war and division and lack of peace that there is in this world. If you look just two psalms before this, at the very first of the Psalms of Ascent, we see distress, right, from from the very first verse, Psalm 120, verse one, in my distress, I called to the Lord. As we read through that psalm, we we read of, of lying lips And deceitful tongues, uh, sharp arrows of of a warrior, as God's people sojourn in Meshach and dwell among those who hate peace, who, verse 7, are for war. And so as we enter into this little mini-collection, the the Psalms of Ascent, we, we see right from the beginning in Psalm 120 a little glimpse into the misery of a world at war, a world that is not for peace a world that doesn't know peace. And then we come over to Psalm 122, this psalm that we just read. It pictures the exact opposite. It pictures a place of peace in the midst of a world at war. In the midst of the misery of Psalm 120, or if we were to keep reading right after this, Psalm 123, more misery. Right in the middle of that is this place of peace in the midst of of a world at war. And that place of peace is called Zion, Jerusalem, the place where God dwells and his people gather to worship him and to enjoy that peace that the world doesn't know. That's what Jerusalem symbolized in the Old Testament. It was the city of peace where God dwells among his people. And yet, as we think ahead towards the New Testament, we know that that Jerusalem was ravaged in 70 AD as God's judgment on unfaithful Israel, who Luke chapter 19 says, did not know the things that make for peace. The Bible says that the Jerusalem of old would be replaced by a new city, a place of peace where God dwells with his people and they worship him. That place, in New Testament terms, is the Church of Christ. That's why Hebrews chapter 12, what we heard in our call to worship, says we have already come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem and city of the living God, the assembly of the firstborn, the church. The New Testament fulfillment of that Old Testament reality. And so when we sing Psalm 122, we're not singing, first of all, of a place in the Middle East, we're singing of the church of Christ gathered throughout the world to worship God and enjoy that peace that only He provides. And so, as we think this this afternoon about the church as a place of peace, I want to think just about two things. First, the nature of the peace that God provides. And then, uh, second, our prayers for the church's continued enjoyment of that peace. Uh, first, the nature of the church's peace, and then our prayer for the church's peace. Look first at the nature of that peace. I want to consider three aspects of the uh, peace that the Lord provides this holy city. Uh, first, that it's a peace that's enjoyed because of the forgiveness of sins. Uh, notice what the pilgrims say in verse one. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. That's so what the psalmist mean, boys and girls, when he says, let us go to the house of the Lord. What house is that talking about? He's talking about the temple. And the temple, we know, is that place where sacrifices were offered. He's he's talking about going to the place where sins were forgiven. The first reason why God's people in the Old Testament could enjoy peace as they went to worship God at the temple of Jerusalem is because it was in the temple that their sins were atoned for. That the, the just and holy wrath of God, at least provisionally, was absorbed by those lambs who symbolized Christ, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. They were given peace with God because they offered by faith those sacrifices that looked forward to the true and final sacrifice. And though you and I, as we gather each Lord's day, we don't gather to offer sacrifices. We do gather to hear that the good news of that once for all sacrifice proclaimed, both in word and in sacrament, that because of Christ's satisfaction, question 56, God will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life, but rather he grants me by grace the righteousness of Christ so that I may never come into judgment so that you and I may never come into the the sort of judgment that those lambs experienced as their blood was shed on the altar. That's what we deserve. And as God's people gathered at the temple all throughout the Old Testament, they were reminded that judgment, that wrath that they deserved was placed upon another. Likewise, as we gather each week, that's what we're reminded. We are reminded of that peace that we enjoy because the wrath of God was absorbed by another. That's peace. That's what's provided in the once-for-all sacrifice that those offerings in the temple foreshadowed. And that's what we proclaim each and every Lord's Day as we gather. Reverend Bauman has written the, the tribes in Psalm 122, they went up to see the gospel of redemption as the priests and Levites would perform the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law that foreshadowed the work of our coming Savior. And in the New Testament, we do not gather to see this in the same way, but rather to hear that same good news proclaimed. They, in the Old Testament, looked forward to it. We look back on it. But in each case, this is the ultimate source of our peace, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, which Romans chapter 5 gives us peace with God. It gives us also peace with our consciences. We, we sang that this morning in our song of confession. That the gospel of the Lord Jesus may give peace to our consciences. It gives us peace even with each other. And that's the next thing that we see, that God provides us peace through the forgiveness of sins and the good news of the gospel, but he also provides us peace through the shared unity that we see in verses three and four. Notice how the psalmist describes Jerusalem as a city that is bound firmly together. Christopher Ashe describes this as a solid, secure, and safe place. Calvin said it speaks of the church's holy unity, that the church can only remain in a state of safety when unanimity prevails in her. And when joined together by faith and charity, she cultivates a holy unity. This is talking about the people of God being bound firmly together which we see more of in verse 4, where the various tribes, these, these diverse groups of, of people from all the different tribes in Israel, these, these diverse collections of individuals spoken of in the plural are gathered together as one. It is how verse 4 speaks of them as, as the tribes of the Lord, the, the tribes of the Lord in the plural, but then by the middle of the verse they're spoken of as a single entity, Israel. Diverse groups of individuals united as one. Gathered from all of their different tribes, all of their different cities, all of their different villages, all of their different families and jobs to come together as one. Bound firmly together. And this flows directly out of what we saw in verse 1. That the church enjoys such peace because of the gospel of our Savior, because of the forgiveness of sins. And as we enjoy that peace with God uh, vertically, it flows out into horizontal peace with one another. As we are glad, verse 1, to come to the house of the Lord and and hear that good news, it allows us to put aside our differences and enjoy a unity of faith, that same unity of of, uh, question 54, where it says uh, that Christ gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. That's the same true faith that Lord's Day 7 speaks of when it says that God freely grants not only to others but also to me the forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. When we are united together around that true faith, it brings unity. When our unity is is built around uh, secondary or tertiary matters, peripheral doctrines that are not central, that brings fracturing. But when our unity is first and foremost around the gospel of our Lord Jesus, it brings joy and it brings harmony. It leads to the enjoyment of that union and communion that we see in question 55, where we readily and joyfully serve one another with our gifts because of what we've been given in Christ. Consider the peace that prevails in the church of God when the gospel of our Lord Jesus is central and not nitpicking about our differences or or elevating other things that are comparatively insignificant and making them central. The gospel of the forgiveness of sins and Christ's satisfaction is central. Question 56. It leads to unity of faith and union and communion with each other kind of thing that we see in question 54 it speaks of the church being united around a true faith and question 55 it speaks of the communion of the saints the peace that god provides for his church is based first of all on the forgiveness of sins of second on the shared unity of us fellow sinners who were gathered together at the foot of the cross where the ground is level and all of us are one and then third, this, this peace that God provides for the church of Christ comes also because of the just rule of her king. Notice verse 5 where it says, There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. This is referring to the fact that, that when the people went up to Jerusalem to gather in God's city, they, they could be assured that there would be justice because of the just rule of God's king, or or at least there should be justice. We know that Israel's kings didn't always rule justly, but we also know that that reference to David in verse 5 calls to mind the promise of one who would come from his mind and his line and would rule justly. The same one we heard of this morning, Christ, the, the king of the church. In fact, that's how our, our Psalter hymnal uh, interprets that. When it says of Psalm 122, it says, uh, speaks of the, uh, the throne of justice stands eternal there, Messiah's throne through endless length of days. It understands that to be a messianic reference, and it gets that right. And when it speaks of the thrones of justice, the throne of David in that city, bringing forth a kind of justice and equity and righteousness that we heard of this morning from Psalm 9 and Psalm 10, that's a reference to the Davidic covenant, the promise of a righteous and just king who would come from David's line. I think this actually hints at the prophetic nature of Psalm 122, that it's looking forward to something more than just the city of Jerusalem. But it's looking ahead prophetically to that peace that we enjoy because of the just rule of our king. The just rule of our king who not only justifies us by grace... But also so rules over us by his word and spirit, gathering, protecting, and preserving for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. Christ rules over his church through his word and spirit. Christ rules over his church through the office bearers whom he appoints. Christ rules over his church through the means even of godly Christian discipline. And it's through the just rule of our just king from heaven that our Jerusalem is a place of peace. It's a place where people can be safe. It's a place where justice prevails. Psalm 122 is calling us to rejoice in the Church of Christ, because it is the place where the gospel of, of full satisfaction through Christ's atonement is proclaimed. Because it is the place where unity around that gospel message is enjoyed. And because it is the place where the just rule of the king is exercised by his word and spirit. And we recognize that these things will not be perfectly done this side of heaven. But nevertheless, we rejoice as as we turn and look at the world around us and see the salvation there that is offered, how empty it is. As we turn and look at the world around us and see how fleeting is the unity that is enjoyed, as, as we turn and look at the world around us and see that justice does not prevail against the backdrop of the misery of, of the world around us or the misery of Psalm 120 or the misery of Psalm 123, Psalm 122 is calling us to see the peace that God provides in the church of Christ and verse one, to rejoice in it say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 122 is calling us to love the church and by faith to join in that confession of Lord's Day 21 about the beauty of the church of Christ and to rejoice. To rejoice in the opportunity that we have to gather with God's people to rejoice in being able to come and hear the good news of the forgiveness of sins proclaimed, to rejoice in being able to do that together and to use our gifts to stir each other up, to respond to what God has done. Psalm 122 and Lord's Day 21 are calling us to love the church, not to disparage it, not to separate ourselves from it, but as Article 28 of the Belgian Confession reminds us, in fact, citing Psalm 122 as a proof text, no one ought to withdraw from the church of Christ, content to be by himself, but all people are obliged to join and unite with it, keeping the unity of the church. This Psalm with, with Belgian Confession, Article 28, is a call to love the church and join ourselves to it. And then if we love it, to pray for it. That's what we want to think about in verses 6 through 9, our prayers for the church's peace. Um, The Belgic Confession is right when it says that we are to seek the unity of the church. Psalm 122 tells us that one of the main ways that we do that is by praying for her. Verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. This is not a rally call to to, um, side with a certain political entity in the Middle East, but it's a call to pray for the peace and safety and security and unity of the blood-bought bride of Christ. May peace be within her walls and security within her towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Do you see how this psalm calls us to pray for the church's peace? This this latter part of the psalm essentially takes all of those things from the first half of the psalm, verses 1 through 5, and tells us to pray that they would be more and more a reality in the city of God, that it would be a place of joy, verse 1, where God's people are glad when, when they gather together on this festive day of rest. That it would be a place of unity bound firmly together where the diverse tribes of the Lord, the unique individuals with with differences of opinion and different life experiences, people who might not be friends otherwise, are able to unite together around their common faith in Christ's satisfaction for sin. Around their common faith in that good news that God will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature which I struggle against all my life. But by His grace, He grants to us the righteousness of Christ. And when we're tempted to hold grudges, when we're tempted to stand in judgment over others, that God will remind us that we too are sinners. And our unity is based upon the fact that Christ has died not only for our sins, but also the sins of our brothers. Question 56 reminds us That we will struggle against this sinful nature all our lives. And so the implication is that our brothers will too. And so this unity that we enjoy, this, this communion of saints, is with people who will sin against us. People who will fail us. Even the fact that Psalm 122 tells us to pray for the realization of this peace is an implied acknowledgement that it will not be perfectly enjoyed this side of heaven, but needs to be worked for. Verse 9 I will seek your good, I will seek your peace. The psalmist is telling us that this is something that has to be actively sought. With the understanding that just as one pastor, Dave Harvey, has said in his book on marriage, when sinners say, I do, that just as a husband and wife need to understand that two sinners are uniting together, so the church of Christ is made up of sinners who will sin against each other, leaders who will fail, people who will not always make wise decisions, brothers and sisters who will not perfectly pursue us or welcome us the way that they ought But as we apply to them the same forgiveness that God has given to us, bearing with each other and forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. That's how we seek the peace of Jerusalem. Praying for the peace of Jerusalem means praying that the church would be a place of peace, both where the gospel of grace is proclaimed from the pulpit but also where the gospel of grace is lived out in practice through a gospel culture of not biting and devouring one another. But Romans 15 of welcoming each other as God in Christ has welcomed us. We're to pray that the church would be a place of joy That the church would be a place of of brotherly love or to pray that it would be a place where Christ rules his people, verse 5, by his word and spirit and therefore justice prevails. Same kind of justice that we heard of this morning where even as this king has a concern for the hurt and the dispossessed and the abused, that the church would too. To pray that it would be a place of safety we're unlike the world of Psalm 120 or Psalm 123 or Psalms 9 and 10 this morning where the weak and the helpless are abused and trampled, that instead the church would be a place where they're well cared for, where the widow and the fatherless are loved and the poor are supplied for their needs. We're to pray that, that the church would be this kind of place. And when we hear As we often do, reports of of this not being the case, but of people in leadership abusing their power, people spiritually abusing or sexually abusing those under their care, we're not to turn a blind eye to this, we're to weep and seek justice. And pray that the church would look less and less like the world around us, but more and more like a colony of heaven characterized by the justice of the king that we heard of this morning. We see here in verse five, the throne of the house of David, of Christ, the gentle and lowly king who inclines his ear to the, the weak and brings justice. Church needs to be a place that cares for the vulnerable, It needs to be a place of peace, it needs to be a place of justice, it needs to be a place where the gospel of grace is proclaimed and the gospel characterizes everything we do. The atonement that is made in verse 1, by the Lamb of God upon the altar would be that which first and foremost binds us together that our unity would not first of all be built upon our our socioeconomic similarities or political preferences or what school we go to or what family we're from, but that our unity would be a gospel unity around the true faith of question 54, the the forgiveness of sins of question 56. That that would then allow us to get along despite whatever differences we may have over matters that our confessions allow us to disagree on. that would even allow us to get along with our brothers and, and sisters, from other churches with whom we may disagree over important secondary matters. But because we are agreed upon the most important thing, we can enjoy unity with and pray for even people beyond the four walls of this church or our federation or our baptismal convictions. The unity of faith and communion of the saints that question 54 and question 55 speak of uh, apply not only to the enjoyment of those things locally in our own church, but Psalm 122 and Psalm 133 call us also to pursue and pray for unity with brothers and sisters all over. We are to pray for church unity, period. In our church, in our town, in our federation, in the church throughout the world, that she would be one as Christ prayed. In fact, there's a sense in which Christ in John chapter 17 is the prayer of Psalm 122, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And he is here calling us to pray with him and to seek the good and the peace of the church of Christ, which in fact goes beyond just just praying but also seeking actively to to, to put to death those things that would hinder the church's enjoyment of this. Psalm 122 with Psalm 133 is a call for us to to put to death those things that would undermine the unity of the church, pride and a party spirit, divisiveness and sectarianism over matters that, that have no business dividing a church. We're to put this to death in ourselves We're to seek to silence it in each other. We're to pray and weep as we consider the state of the church in the last several years being divided over all sorts of things that the psalmist in Psalm 122 would not elevate to the level of things that should divide the church. We're to pray that the church would get back to that which is the fountainhead of our unity. Verse 1, the Lamb of God offered upon God's altar for the forgiveness of sins, question 56. That that would produce peace and unity and joy. That it would lead to the church being a place of justice and safety and love. Or the church fails to do these things and to be these things perfectly, which she will. We don't give up on her and forsake her. We don't become church-hopping consumers or individualistic lone rangers. But we give ourselves to pray all the more for the peace of Jerusalem. both Here and there and everywhere. Until that day when the church is perfectly conformed to the character of heaven as that new Jerusalem comes down and the church who at present is by schism rent asunder, by heresy distressed, will be the church triumphant in the presence of the Lamb, worshiping him with joy and peace and unity in that place of rest. Until then, the Lord allows us to gather each week in anticipation of that, confessing by faith, I believe, a holy Catholic church, communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the church, for the joy of gathering together with your people around the proclamation of the forgiveness of sins because of Christ's atoning sacrifice. We pray, Lord, that that would be central in all that we do and that from it would flow a unity of faith uh, that is built around the most important thing and also an enjoyment of peace as we forgive and bear with one another, treating others as you have treated us. Pray that your church would be a place of of real evangelical unity, not of of pride and a a party spirit of division and sectarianism, but of real gospel unity, the kind that Christ prayed for. We pray that it would be also a place of justice. It makes our hearts heavy when we read of of the kind of of things that we we have have heard of briefly even this morning, of predators in the covenant community praying on the weak. We know that that has at times been the case in the church. We've heard many reports of it in recent years. We pray that Christ, the King, would bring justice, would care for the weak, and would make his church a place that does that too. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to love your church, to pray for her when she fails, not to give up on her when she does not perfectly live out the ideal that is described in this psalm that we'll one day know in glory, but to remain wholeheartedly committed to her. Even as Christ was so wholeheartedly committed to her that he gave his life and he shed his blood for her. Lord, we pray that you'd make us so committed to your church also and that you would make us to know something of that joy and love for the church that we see in verse one, saying, my heart was glad to hear the welcome sound, the call to seek Jehovah's house of prayer, the call to come and join with your people in your house to worship you. We pray that that joy, that excitement to gather with your people, that uh, eager anticipation to come and worship you uh, would be something that is true of us and our children.